The following was recorded in front of a live studio audience at the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe. This is the United Podcast Network. Welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast, inspired by some of the quirkiest dogs you can ever imagine and the owners who love them. This podcast is brought to you by the quirky couple themselves, Scott and Jess Williams. Their aim is to educate and entertain. Here's Scott and Jess. Welcome, guys, and welcome to the Quirky Dog Podcast. Uh, what are we going to be talking about today, Lovebug? Well, we're going to talk about working dogs and what it's like to own and live with a working dog. Yes. And the joys of that. And maybe some of the drawbacks of that. I wanted to do, so you want to own a Border Collie, and I'm Alan Wah, but Scott wanted to extend it to all working dogs. But first, we're going to start with the quirky tip of the day. I'll make sure that's right side up. <laughs> Good job. Um, so the quirky tip of the day. You know, if I you're... was thinking, maybe oh, we shouldn't be talking to them. Maybe we should talk to each other. We for talk a to each other. Let Scott them eavesdrop I, on our Scott conversation. Notice my body language turning towards Scott, you, open, good job lovingly with your NLP. Scott and I spend more time together than any two people I think in the entire world, like it, it, at any time. So it's nice to be able to talk away from you and towards the bond them. Just grows stronger. <laughs> it is. All right, our quirky tip is not that we're going to ignore you and talk to each other, but if you need to run a fecal for your dog at the vet, if something's happening, a little loose stool, something looks a little silly, a little bit of slime or whatever in the poop, yeah. uh, make sure... Pieces of toys. Well, yeah, you may run a fecal for that, or that was just an accident, your dog ate something. Make sure you tell the vet to run it also for Giardia, because oftentimes those fecals, they just run for worms and everything else, and Giardia <laughs> could be the main issue. So if you're going to run a fecal and you're concerned about something, make sure you specify that they should also run it for Giardia. What is Giardia? Sometimes that could be a little bit more. It's is that a, a serious problem? <laughs> It's is that a, like uh, it's a bug in the tummy? Is that like Parvo? It's a tummy bug. It's not like Parvo. It's okay. not as bad as Parvo, but it does need to be treated with medication. And uh, a side note, as a quirky tip, if you're Jess, the way you like to treat it is with Panicare and Metronidazole. Well, that's more of a puppy issue, anyway, isn't it? One would hope, but uh, <laughs> it can extend out. Okay, so we're going to talk about working dogs. So this is really a topic that we're well versed in. How what long? You, well, define working dog. What do you? What, yeah, I actually looked dog? at that with Google. So working dogs, they say that... like police dogs or something sometimes. <laughs> but the phrase that we're using here is any dog that's bred for a more specific purpose than just to be a pet. So a Brittany Springer Spaniel, a German Short-haired Pointer, a Border Collie is bred to her cheap cattle dogs. Any dog that's bred for a specific purpose, which of course all these dogs Labrador Retriever yes all these dogs have different functionalities and everything else but a working dog for this sense is like you're going to genetics where the dogs are performing at a high level either doing sports or something else they're they're actual working dogs that's how we're defining it seeking out a working dog puppy is that what you're trying to say well you sometimes when you go to a purebred breeder they are producing more working dog type of dogs and not just pet dogs so it's important to specify so how long have you owned mouse about 20 years. Yeah, so 20 years. I've And I've aged about 40. I've had Border Collies pretty much 30 years now. So, I mean, that's a pretty That's not really a working breed though. Well, for the definition of this, for the definition of this podcast it is. And you know, a lot of people get excited about a dog that they see in a movie or the a dog that they see on Instagram or, you know, a dog that their friend had or whatever else. But really, the breed of the dog that you choose to introduce into your family 
is very important. And it's if you want to own an Akita, that's your own prerogative. You get an Akita. What was that breed that that guy found on Instagram that he wanted a, a Turkish something? Yeah, I can't remember. It was a very unusual breed. It was a Turkish guard dog. Yeah. But and it, it was like a 200-pound dog. And he found the page on Instagram, right? Like he yeah. was just like, oh, my God, I love this. I think he had a great Dane. The dog was a previous client, unexpectedly died. He saw this dog on Instagram, and he's like, oh, my God, I love this thing. I want to have this thing. He called Scott. They're expensive. I mean, it's like a $5,000 dog. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you worked with some in California, right? Uh, Fortunately, I didn't. I went to the house where they had them. They were like lions in a cage. Mm -hmm. And he said he can't walk them down the street. They're so big and aggressive and all that stuff. And the price I gave him made him shy away. <laughs> I, I, I was ready to sacrifice my body for a price, but he wasn't willing to pay that price. So. And if people want to get, you know, th- that type of breed for their family, that's fine. Like you guys all can make your own choices, but you should do your research. So the bottom line here, the things that we're going to discuss is living with a dog that's bred for a specific purpose with genetics that, you know, can get to the on top of the podiums in whatever given sport that you want to do that can, you know, run faster at the park than any other dog there. Genetics like that have some stuff packed in with it that sometimes can be more difficult to live with. Well, if you're going to get a working dog and you're not actively involved in an activity that would help that working dog excel, yeah. I don't understand the point. That's the problem. If it doesn't have a, a you know, a venue and an outlet for that drive then you can wind up with a lot of headaches. Yeah, no, you know? completely. That's really what and it's all about. As far as, um, like, I, I, I want to talk about the Brittany Springer Spaniel because we just had uh, Brittany in that was a little puppy, really sweet dog. And that dog did have a little more drive than probably some other pet dog Brittany's that, that we nice have in. That was a pretty nice dog. She was very nice, but... But some, one that you could live with. Yes, but my point with that is I think that she spoke with the breeder about what their expectations were like. You know, she lives in a little condo in Portsmouth, right on the water. She's not going to be going out and hunting with this dog. You know, she she had a little bit of anxiety and everything else. But overall, the puppy was really nice when it was with us, and she's developing into a really nice puppy. And it's not that, you know, stronger genetics won't develop into a nice puppy. But like Scott said, if they don't have an outlet, you may be kind of banging your head against the wall like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself in for? Cattle dogs, I think, are often misunderstood. Like cattle dogs, Australian cattle dogs, some people call them healers, are bred to herd the cattle, right? Border yeah. collies herd the sheep, and then the stronger, like, cows and stuff and the other animals that may kick the dogs, that's when you bring in the cattle dogs. Like, that's the purpose of why this breed was bred. So then when you have kids running around and everything else, and it's nipping at the kids' heels, and it's trying to, like, put everything into a corner, that's because that's genetically why this dog was put on the earth. So rather than be like, oh, this is so weird, these behaviors are so strange, at least know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah, and I don't understand um, the whole thing with the, the the guard dogs, the protection-based working dogs, where people are getting them uh, that aren't involved in a working what do you mean, dog, like a, a protection sport? What are you talking about? Malinois, some of these, uh, um, like the eighty-five thousand dollar protection no, no, no. dogs, or just no, no, dogs no, no. Have, just okay. getting a Malinois, which is reasonably priced. You can get a, a nice Malinois puppy for a thousand bucks, you know, but they are like. When I first was introduced to them, they were, I was, they used the analogy of like they're a Ferrari. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a dog, it's, it's not a car you drive every day to work. It's a high performance vehicle that you need a track to drive it on. And the Malinois is a high performance dog that needs a certain outlet to perform. And I'm not saying that you can't have a Malinois as a pet, and, um, but you need to be a pretty savvy dog handler owner 
to keep that dog from getting uh, on top of you. Yeah. You need to be on top of the dogs all the time. And quite often, people are getting these dogs, and part of it is the breeders are putting these uh, Malinois, as an, one example, on PetFinder and Craigslist. And well, I, you know, here's another example. I had a, a guy brought in, a family brought in a German Shepherd that they bought online, an adult, and uh, it was from Illinois. And it was a, wor- a police dog washout is how it was yeah. described. How did it get into their family? Beautiful, sable, yeah. um, German Shepherd. And um, the friggin' dog was aggressive as hell. I mean, I took the leash. I started working him. And he was okay with me. But he started looking at me like, if you, you know, pop that leash one more time, I'm going <laughs> to fucking kill you. Like, this is how he's looking at me, right? So I said, okay, sit. Come over, take the dog, and bring him over here. So... While he's on the other side of the desk for me, the dog then gives me the hard look and lunges over the desk. I thought this was a Dutch Shepherd. It was a Shepherd. I think it was a, no, it was a German Shepherd, but it had the, you know, the dark pigment. And it, you know, it was a German Shepherd uh, police dog washout. And um, we don't know what was going on. I don't know if it was the, you know, the genetics of that dog that made it aggressive, or maybe it was some real hard work that had been put on that dog, but it was very suspicious, and they came because they'd have that kid in the back seat of the car when they're dropping their kid off at kindergarten, and when the, you know, the lunch lady or whoever it is goes to open the back door to take the kid out, the dog is like protecting the whole car like it's going to yeah, kill somebody. Yeah, it was somebody, intense. You, you didn't know? do training with them, right? No, I told them to take yeah. the dog and, and that dog get actually, it back where it came from. That dog actually, I believe, was going to get euthanized dog. at Tufts, and it got loose in yeah, the process to, of getting euthanized. <laughs> they had to bring was, in a SWAT team to yeah, get the No, it dog. literally isn't even a joke. Like, it was a huge to-do. But uh, So that's a huge extreme. But yes, it, with that said, I 100% agree with what Scott's saying. How did a dog in Illinois that was supposed to be a police dog that turned out to be a washout end up with a, a, family a family in Massachusetts? Like that's, that's poor placement. And sometimes it is poor placement. However, a lot of breeders, a lot of good breeders of Border Collies, Malinois, some of more of these working breeds will exclude certain people just right off the bat. They'll say, oh no, we're not a good match. Like you don't, getting a puppy into the right home is really difficult, but there's going to be stuff that you see behaviors that you see from dogs like this that you may not be sure of and that are frankly a pain in the ass to live with. Like, let's talk about the Mal because Scott has 20 years of experience with the Mal and I came into this relationship with a Malinois. I had gotten a Malinois. He was a shits and washout from Texas. I used him for entertainment and he would high jump like, you know, 56 inches at the fair. He was a big, woo, look at him go. Big police dog. His name was Sarge. Awesome dog. Um, he was a really, really, really nice dog, and he was not our average Mal, I would say. No, he was very uh, sensitive and uh, very friendly, very social Very dog. social. I had a, later in his life, he had um, <clears throat> a mast cell tumor on his stomach that I wasn't sure what it was. I was able to take him to a vet. I had some connections, and I went to an old farm vet. They were able to take his mast cell tumor out with just a local anesthetic. I didn't even put him under general. I actually fed him cheese while that was happening. So he was very nice and very able, very good about being hands-on and everything else. I have met probably, I'd say, 30 30 Malinois more intimately since I've been with Scott in the last 10 years. And we do a lot of sports with, you know, the French ring and the protection stuff. And I don't really like the breed. I mean, I'm not trying to like throw everybody under the bus, but like Sarge was the exception to the rule. Malinois are a lot to live with. We still own one um, and we love him dearly. His name is Cousteau. He's French ring too. And he comes from great genetics and we really, you know, we love him. He'll always be our pet, but 
I'm not really looking forward to getting another Malinois well, puppy. Well, they got to work. That's all. If you're not working them, and uh, I haven't been working my dog for a while. so Even that's... if you are working them, best case scenario, you know, you get the spinning in the crate type of stuff. You could get some reactivity. This There's fallout from every little breed, but it's it's not your average dog to live with. It's not your average dog to deal with. It's not your average dog to go to the vet with, a vacation with. And you just have to know that that might be a thing. And I'm not trying to shit on the mouths. I, they're great dogs. No, they're great. And, uh, but, but I will say in their defense that there's, you know, there's uh, this, umbre- this umbrella, you know, the Malinois, and it's a pretty big umbrella because they're coming from the Netherlands, from Germany, from France. And even they're the- all bred very specifically for similar biting exercises, but yet one is bred more for sport, one is bred more for police and military. And they have very different temperaments. And even the show line mouths here in the country are, you know, they look very different than these working mouths, but they're still coming from the Malinois. So if you... They look similar. They just have smaller feet and they're a little more dainty. And they still are a lot of dog. Like I've had them in agility before as clients and they, you know, they're a little bit sharper than your average dog. And I would say the German Shepherd more so than any dog that we may discuss here on this podcast is probably bred more pet dog-like as far as a working dog. We've well, been trying to do that for yeah. probably 50 years. Yeah, and I think years. that that is, like, you obviously can still get a really nice working shepherd, but Scott would say that you'd probably want to go overseas to do that. But that dog, I, you know, I'm not, if you want a German shepherd and that's your dog, everything else, just really talk to your breeder. Talk to your breeder. Who are they placing these dogs with? Maybe talk to some other owners that have gotten dogs from this breeder to know their temperament. Go meet some other dogs. But, I mean, the German shepherd, if that's like, your end-all be-all and that's your breed, I would say we're seeing more of those dogs being in pet homes more successfully than some of other these stronger working dogs. Well, they're bred more primarily for look. Yeah. What I'm seeing in with a the certain, German Shepherd. Yeah, in a certain there's degree. Been, there's been temperament problems that and go along with that. there's too. definitely some anxiety and Scott always jokes that the German Shepherd is like the one dog that, you know, might work great for us and then the owner takes a leash and it just doesn't transfer as well yeah, as some other dogs. Yeah, they size up everyone individually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you have some stuff going on there. But when we're sitting here talking about these working dogs and these working breeds, I would say the Shepherd has been more of the pet dog-esque quality than, you know, th- over the past 10 years than some others. I oh. will say that, the, the, in my opinion, the Malinois is probably one of the very few dogs left that still has all the working characteristics that it was bred to be 150 years ago. Yeah, and maybe that's you part know, of the maybe reason it was 120 years that ago, I'm maybe more sensitive so about, about preserving it is that... Yeah. Like the more pet homes that are requiring that kind of dog and getting that kind of dog into their home, the more fallout we might have. Okay, let's go to break real quick. And then we're going to talk Border Collies when we get back because I love my Border Collies. Does your dog lack self-control? Are you looking for some answers? Would you like your dog to be calmer? Does your dog lack confidence? Canine MindShift. Enroll in a free course today. Simply go to caninemindshift.com. That's caninemindshift.com. Okay, we're back. All right, before we move on from mouths, I feel like I stole your thunder. Is there anything else you want to talk about with them since you have the 20 years? I think they're awesome dogs. I think they can be great companions. You just need to be a savvy handler. You need to have some experience. They definitely need some good, firm obedience training. 
And uh, like most dogs, but with them, they can be dangerous without the good, decent training yep. in them. That's the thing. So you don't we... want a dog that's been bred to bite, yeah. bred to bite hard for 100 years, yeah. and then treat it like a friggin' poodle. Yeah. That, You're going to have a problem. That gets a little bit dangerous. And Scott, from Mal's, he went to Border Collies. You got Jimmy after owning Mal's. No. I didn't, I didn't leave Mal's. You didn't I, leave Mal's, but I added you added to my insanity. You with had a gotten border collie. a border collie, and we compare the two breeds quite frequently as far as intelligence, Ferrari type stuff, everything else. Although border collies don't necessarily bite as hard. Yeah, border collies are a total pain in the ass. Yeah. Also, 100%. they're just not bred to bite. They're bred to herd. <laughs> they're bred for speed, and they're a little smaller. Um, I love border collies, but you know, I had a, I got a kind of a. Uh, misconception about border collies based on the one that I got because I got a performance sport border collie, not a real border collie in the sense that it's bred to be in Scotland out in the pouring rain herding sheep for 15 hours a day. Those type of dogs are friggin' total pain in the ass yeah. to live with. They don't, I don't think, have, and I only because I've worked with a couple that were put into people's homes. They don't have genetically as much desire to do the obedience with the owner because they want to be out away from you and working and yeah, hurting. Yeah, they're more independent. These dogs, when they're overseas working, they're living outdoors. Like, watch the movie Babe. Love that movie. Great movie. A lot of nice animals. Happy, jolly old man. The dogs are outside in the rain living outdoors. They're not sleeping in bed with you. So, and I think that Scott specifically gets a false sense of security with Border Collies because we had one that was supposed to be that goose dog, right? Yeah, we had a bird. Yeah, but we don't know how. It was bred for a golf course. It was bred for a golf course. But I don't know how, what those genetics were, and that might not have been, you know, genetics of dogs that are hurting. But Border Collies now, okay, what kind of weird things could they do? They could chase their tail. My one dog eats her toenails. They can do neurotic, crazy stuff where they get all attached to lights and everything else. Yeah, they start motion, chasing reflections on the ground. Motion kind of sensitivity. We love Jimmy. Jimmy's, oh my God, he just turned nine. It was his birthday. Jimmy is like, we call him the chew glue. He sleeps in between us every morning. We love the dog. Jimmy Chew, our dog, when I rotate other dogs, is on a bed and there's a toy there that he can grab because he's reactive and motion sensitive when I'm letting dogs out. He wants to spin and bark. So he just stands on his $300 bed and holds his toy and controls his anger that way. But there's drive there. There's a dog there that got a French ring brevet. He's got some push to him. Our dogs have push to them. They might be more vocal. They could be more prone to anxiety because they're more intelligent. They, like They might slam their nose into your windshield when you turn on the <laughs> windshield wipers. <laughs> that He does that too with yeah. his motion sensitivity. But then again, okay, fine. So, oh my God, the dog's so motion sensitive. It's off its rocker. How the hell do you think it gets sheep to move? Like, that's the whole point about motion sensitivity. Like, oh, I got to move them. Okay, now they're here. Oh, I got to move them. It's not just specific to Border Collies. Kelpies, Aussies, all of these dogs have more push. Maybe they have to be rotated individually if you have a pack of dogs. Maybe you have to put some sort of screen in front of your window when you're driving. They're going to have these little idiosyncrasies that you have to deal with, especially if they're bred for a purpose. And other dogs in these lines are working at a high level, whether it be in performance sports like dock diving, frisbee, agility, fly ball, or an actual, you know, 
herding sports and other what other kind of things do these dogs that we're talking about do? Ratters. I was <laughs> going to say Ratters. the biggest Barn problem I see with um, pet dogs and clients is that they get these working dogs that, that they don't realize is a working dog. Yes. Which can be a Jack Russell, a, oh these my God. little that terriers, these Yorkies. That is such a good Yorkies, example, the Jack Russell. And they're cute and they're small and they think, I don't want a big dog. I want yeah. a little dog. I and want it's a wishbone. It's a friggin' monster. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a 40 pound or 30 pound monster. <laughs> that is so true. Know? I'm so glad we brought up the Jack Russells. And we got a Jag Terrier. Oh my gosh. When Scott was selling bed bug dogs years ago. Boy, was I stupid. Well, we got um, <laughs> We thought it would be good to sell a little bed bug dog, a Jag Terrier. It's J A G D. These dogs are bred to like go hog hunting, right? Like we brought it to a Bart Balance seminar. Hunting. And Bart's like joking. He's like, oh, you have this dog on the property. There's no other animals on the property Nothing when else this is dog's alive here. If yeah, this like, dog is on the property. He was a lot of freaking dog. And we rehomed him and he did some deer trailing for his life and everything else. But he was a lot of dog for us. And his drive with bed bugs would kind of go in and out. And he wasn't necessarily a good dog to pass yeah. on for that. But, but d- dogs that are bred to kill small, like rodents, <laughs> for example, that was what they were bred for. Farm dogs that are going to clear out the grain silo of rats. That's what they were for. They're great at that. And there's even some great videos on YouTube I see once in a while where they're trying to get rats and rodents out of a, a field and they're turning over the dirt with a fork. And they got 10 of these little dogs there. And every time a rat is exposed, they just zoom, they're on it, killing it. But then when you walk down the street with a bow in its hair, (laughs) it wants to frigging kill everything in sight. And then when it starts to freak out and you pick it up, it's complex as, woo, I'm just big man on campus. And yeah, that's true. Terriers are, I I don't see it as much as we used to see it, but I'm sure it's still happening. And if you want a Jack Russell or you want a dog like this, just talk to the breeder and don't just well, buy it online. be prepared to do some balance training. Yeah, that you're would gonna be You're going to have a little too. trouble if you're just out there with your clicker and there's a bunch of uh, chipmunks on the sidewalk. But the other flip side of that is even if you're prepared for whatever, people don't really want to become trainers. And I understand that. You guys want to own dogs to have companions. Well, and that's, that's the problem, yeah. Yeah, that's fine and good. But no matter what you're talking about, like plan on dedicating a significant amount of time to training. That's more what you're talking about. And if you get a pet dog, a more pet line bred dog, that doesn't mean that you're not going to train it, but know what you're in for. When you're just buying this dog that you see on Facebook that looks cute, you don't know the genetics. If you're shipping a dog from across the country, you haven't met the parents. Like, you know, doodles get a bad freaking rap, but they're not necessarily working doodles. I'm not saying they're perfect dogs, but the groomers love the money, and a lot of them are a little bit easier to live with than some of these other breeds. I want I to talk say, about. I want to say, with regard to the Jack Russells and some of these um, little Yorkies and things yeah. like that, those working characteristics have been consciously bred out of them, just like the American yeah. German Shepherd. So they're trying to make them more of a, a family companion, more of a lap dog. But it's still back there. There's pieces yeah. that you know in their DNA that will rise to the you know, if they're not, don't have some training, all of a sudden, like, I don't know what happened. All of a sudden, he, like, chased my, you know, 18-month-old across the yard and bit him in the diaper, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, you, you, that, those kind of things can happen. And I want to talk, I mean, obviously, Rottweilers, Dobermans, there's a lot of working type of dogs. So if you're really well-versed in a breed, that's fine. Just talk to a breeder about what you're doing. But a lot of these hunting dogs, um, labs, I would say, are more balanced and they're, you know, a lot of them are more pet dog bred. But like German short hair pointers, um, Brittany Springer Spaniels, what's some other big hunting dogs that I'm missing? Setters, a lot of setters, um, Irish setters specifically. They can be a little bit nutty. They can be wired. Yeah, well, I don't know how many of those are still working, but maybe. I Well, the genetics back in the genetics. But as far as if you're going to get a breed like this, 
these breeds are showing, I would say, more anxiety than some other breeds. And that's because they're bred to work. They're bred to run. They're bred to do these things. So you're going to have to figure out ways to help calm them down, conditioning them to a crate, teaching them to stand up dog bed, getting them to kind of reel themselves in a little bit. But I would say the working dogs like that that we've had over the years um, have been a little bit more high strung, I guess I would say, as far as the hunting dogs. Yeah, yeah. Those types of breeds. And again, some of them have been lovely, but talk to, when you get a breed-specific dog from rescue, and there are breed-specific rescues, and they do a lot of good things, at least meet the dog, maybe do a foster type of setup and everything else, because then you're not going to know the parents and be able to go back there. But just have open communication about what your expectations are, where your experience level is. Our dogs didn't just come to us and it was all signed, sealed, deliver. We've had learning curves with all of our dogs in different ways, shapes, and forms. I've probably had a stronger learning curve with Scott's daughter's Pomeranian, who has now been our full-on dog for six or seven years, than I have with any dog in my entire life. Like every dog is a learning well, opportunity and is. growth. That dog was bred to be sitting in your lap, and it's not in your lap enough. (laughs) That's the problem. It needs to be sitting there. But if I just have her in my lap for 10 hours, then when I put her in the crate, she poops because she's mad. She has a lot of character. Yes, and and that's the thing. And yes, I guess that's a bad example to bring up. The Pomeranian is the working dog. But these people that make their dogs look great, these dogs that are achieving at such a high level that seems like, oh my gosh, they just had a unicorn that just came out of the blue and the dog was awesome. I want that. There is a lot of work involved. And yes, some journeys are longer than others. And it doesn't always have to be like, oh my gosh, I'm pulling my hair out. But you have to grow as a person. You have to grow as a trainer if you really want to dedicate your life and your 15 years to strong genetics. Genetics really matter when you get dogs. Yeah. And if you enjoy working with dogs, then it's no problem getting a working line anything because your passion is in the working with the dog. So it doesn't matter really what breed you get, as long as you're willing to be working with it on a daily basis. And get reaching, some pr- reaching out for help. Getting involved with a club and working with other people that own that same breed so that they can help guide you along and all that stuff. Yeah, and finding the proper help. I feel like a lot of times we get into this headspace of like, oh, I went on the internet. Oh, I checked out YouTube. Nothing helped. No, Nothing can help my dog call a professional. If you call a professional and that doesn't work, consult another professional. Uh, You know, join these breed groups on Facebook. Ask around. Ask about these things because, and some people are going to tell you crazy stuff. Like there's certain breeds on Facebook that they say, oh, that dog just can't be created. Yeah, that's because the anxiety level in that specific breed is so freaking through the roof right now that the dog won't accept the crate. That doesn't mean the dog can't be created. It means that the anxiety is high, so you have to counteract that in different ways, shapes, and forms. But really... When you're going to introduce a dog into your family, whether it be an adult dog or a puppy or a, you know, adolescent dog or anything else, try to do as much research on the front end as possible. Because Scott's the first person to say that if a dog doesn't work out for him, he will responsibly place it somewhere else. Like he's not going to put well, up I don't, with bullshit. Yeah. If I don't, if I get a puppy and I just don't like the puppy, it's just not working out. I've never dropped a dog off at a rescue, but it's yeah. always been easy for me to find a new home because... I pay a lot of money for the puppy in the first place. Yeah, and he's so, well connected. Yeah, so I can say, well, I got this puppy. I just don't like the way this puppy works with me. Take it, see what you think. And I've always been able to find someone that would grab, and it hasn't, thankfully, it hasn't been a lot of puppies, but there's been several that I've just and Scott's well felt connected the need to, in the- and I always rehome before they get too old. You know, yeah. it's, it's just coming up on a year. It's already got training in them. 
it's just personality wise, I'm not really feeling it. You yeah. Know? And that's for the betterment of the dog and for, you know, our lives and everything else. And that's not that we're just adding dogs all the time to turn over. We're very happy with how many dogs we have and what we have and everything else. But these think, people, could I, could I add yeah. something to that? Uh, I think that some of these dogs I got was, um, because of my own inexperience. I wanted a dog from this particular kennel and, um, I didn't know yeah, enough about the kennel. The ego, I didn't, yeah, the ego it was got a, in there. You know, yeah. I see the adult dog, but I don't see what it took to get that dog from eight weeks to three or four years old, where it was a great working adult dog. And some of those journeys take a lot more patience than I'm willing to put into a dog. I like a dog that is working pretty quickly with me, enjoying tugging, enjoying wanting to be with me and wanting to work with me. And some dogs are kind of sleepers. Some puppies, it just takes them time to unfold and to develop. And um, I, my personality is just uh, hard with that kind but of thing. But even talking in that same vein, Scott is working with the dog. He's trying to develop the dog. He's well-connected in the dog world to place the dog responsibly with another owner that will you know, work yeah, that, with that it. has more patience or yeah. Yeah, knows the bloodline. And line. I was going to say that the problem is, is a lot of us get a dog for our family, and then the last thing you can possibly think of is placing that dog somewhere else. Like that is completely heartbreaking. Like this is our family dog. We want this dog and you don't want to take that leap, but then maybe you didn't do your work on the front end or vice versa. A lot of people will call once there has been an incident and say like, Oh, I need to rehome this dog. I, you know, the dog needs a perfect owner. That's like really into training and really dog savvy and everything else. Well, you know what guys, like we're those types of people and we don't want those. We have plenty of dogs in our house. We have plenty of good things going on. The dog savvy people don't just want everybody else's leftovers. And I'm not trying to say that to be rude. It's just well, a They fact don't want to take on problems. They've had enough problems in their life and they're at a point where they want their life to be less problems, yeah. not more. And you know, that brings me, I know we don't have a lot more time left, but pit bulls are another great working yeah. breed that uh, too many of them are in homes where people are not training and they're just letting them out on a harness and they're getting into all kinds of trouble. Yeah. And I know or bully we, mixes. we have a several ton of rescue friends that are, that are huge pit bull people and their dogs are great. And, uh, you know, Larry Hansen out in Southern California, is a, I'd like to have her on the podcast sometime, but yeah. she's a great pit bull breeder, judge, owner. And she has a zero tolerance for bullshit with pit bulls, and her pit bulls are great. Yeah, and they're not perpetuating any you know animal aggression or human aggression or anything else. Yeah. So these dog people, if you will, are you know more in touch with what the dogs need, where the dogs need to go, if the dog's going to work out or not. Pet people, patrons of America, we don't expect everyone to be super savvy, but do your front end research. Talk to the breeders. Get a good feel as far as like, yeah, I met the parents. I feel good about the parents. Like I've talked to some other people that own these dogs in their place. Experience level matters when you're dealing with strong genetics. So if you want a working dog of any way, shape, or form, and every dog in a certain sense is a working dog, no matter what breed you're getting or what mix you're getting or anything else. You need to do your front-end research. Yeah, do a little and, research on the breed. And don't feel bad about reaching out for help or stepping outside the box or, you know, trying something new. If you had 15 dogs in the past and this one is giving you a run for your money, maybe there's a good life learning lesson involved. But please do your research. They're not for everyone. We have multiple Border Collies. We have a Malinois. We have the Pomeranian. We have a lot of dogs with drive. And even for us, it's a freaking lot. You know what I mean? And we're both professional dog well, the trainers. The funny thing is we're <laughs> able to handle what we have in our house. And it's so funny when we have people that, you know, pet dog people, they have one dog 
And they just can't get a handle on this one dog. And we have at any time, we have seven crazy friggin' dogs. They're all in their beds. They're chewing on a bone. And we're sitting there going, yeah, this is, this, these dogs are kind of a lot. But they're all under control. And we're still saying this is kind of a lot, a lot of work. And that's not you know? even a stroke or ego, but it's just to say, like, we don't want much more. Like, as we move into our next few years, we'll be very careful about how we replace our pack and what we replace it with and what we want for our lifestyle and how much time we have to devote to sports. So know what you're getting into oh, here's and tip. enjoy have, working with your freaking dog. If you dog. do have a working dog, get yourself a treadmill. Oh, good it's one. great in the rainy, rainy, heavy, you know, inclement weather. I throw Cousteau on a treadmill uh, quite often to take that edge off him if I've been working and haven't had a chance to do anything with him. It's a nice way to We're burn We're dropping off. a lot of little seeds. 20 we minutes. Have, we want to have Larry on the treadmill. podcast, and I want to do $12 treadmill. That was my treadmill course. So we got a lot of little seeds. We're dropping. Guys, have a great week. Uh, we will see you next week. We have some cool interviews coming up, and we are excited to share with you. And in the meantime, keep it quirky. And don't get a working dog unless you really want it and do your research. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts, guests, or callers of this program do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the Studio 21 Podcast Cafe, the United Podcast Network, its partners or affiliates.